Hey, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Brian. I think I know most of you. If we have some guests here this morning, I am the pastor of faith, and uh, it's great to have each and every one of you here. If you've got your Bibles, and we do want to encourage you to bring your Bibles each and every week, uh, you can also open uh, Scripture uh, on your cellular mobile or on your tablet uh, or on your good old-fashioned Bible. I like to use uh, a, a paper Bible. I like the way it feels. And if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to Second uh, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's way into the New Testament. Uh, 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, you'll find it in your New Testament right after 1 Corinthians. And so uh, that's kind of your cue as you're getting to uh, this letter uh, or this book from Paul. Well, if you've been here uh, the last couple of weeks, you know that today is kind of a bookend. It's the second part of a sermon series uh, called Generous or uh, Living Generous. And uh, uh, the big idea behind this idea is that uh, behind this message, this two-part message, is that the, the default of the human condition is not generous is not generosity, it's close-fisted, it's living our lives like this, right? We do this so naturally. None of us has to learn to live our lives close-fisted. Um, parents, you don't need to teach your kids how to be selfish, right? They just kind of figure this out. In fact, when you're raising your kids, um, their first words are not mommy or daddy. It's no and mine, right? Those are our children's first words, even as toddlers, because this is the default of the human condition. Um, I, I, I just, I want it. And so I'm going to gather it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hold it. And so this is how the world lives their lives uh, if we're not paying attention, if we're not intentional. And, um, and, and yet, as Jesus followers, we're reminded uh, that generosity is living open-handed. It's letting go. It's sharing. It's giving ourselves away. And as Jesus followers, we're reminded that this is who Jesus was. He came into the world with open arms. He shared his life. He healed people freely. He taught people openly. And scripture tells us that he went to the cross and he gave up every ounce of his very presence. And this is who Jesus was. From beginning to the end, he lived his life generously. And so my hope is uh, that uh, through this message, uh, that through this sermon series, that we can move from this posture and being closed-fisted to being open-handed and living our lives more generously. Now, if you are here a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, one aspect of what it means to be generous, and it's how do we uh, live our lives more open-handed with our financial resources? We talked about what it means to, to be more and more generous, giving away uh, those things that God has given us, that our, our money, our resources, those things that are oftentimes difficult to pry our fingers and let go. And so today, we're not going to talk about money, but we're going to talk about something even more valuable in our lives, our time, our time. Because you can always earn more money, right? You can always pick up a second job. 
You can always work uh, one more uh, day, a few more hours. You can always earn some more money. But your time on this earth is finite. You have only so much of it. And of course, time is very precious. And oftentimes, we're tempted to want to just hold on to it, hold it very tightly. But Jesus invites us to open our hands and to live and to give and to share generously. So let us pray as we prepare our hearts uh, to hear God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this gathering of your people. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect uh, on a great uh, letter to the church again this morning, you would open our hearts, our minds, and our lives, that Lord, we would indeed uh, be generous people sharing, as Jeff shared a little bit ago, uh, our love so that the world may know of who you are and whose we are in you. So God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, as I think about all the disruptions going on in the world today, all the uh, tumult, all the craziness, all the things that have just kind of transformed and changed. And it feels like things are changing ever faster. And there's just more and more disruption. We, we think, what's normal anymore? Because things are just changing. And there's just so much disruption in our own lives and in the world. And it just makes you want to kind of shut it all off. And it, it kind of makes you want to hole up. And, and it kind of makes you think, what difference can I make anyways. It feels like the world is spinning out of control. And so it's so easy to just think, I'm just going to hang on to what I've got. I'm not going to share. But I want to remind you that the disruptions that we're going through today, when compared to the disruption that was going on 500 years ago in the world, the disruptions today are actually quite minor. On October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, those actions became an incredible spark plug of change and transformation and disruption. In fact, a revolution like the world had not seen in 1,500 years. In fact, what was going on in that time, the changes and the transformation and the disruption, all of a sudden people were thinking to themselves, what is happening? Because the changes of the Protestant Reformation were so much bigger than just changes in, in what was going on in the church. There were extraordinary disruptions sociologically, economically, politically. At every level, there were reverberations going on in Europe. And it wasn't just in Europe, but soon for the next decades and, and hundreds of years, it would reverberate throughout the world. And things would get crazier and crazier and crazier. And it all began in 1517 with Martin Luther. He was an extraordinary disruptor. If you think there are some disruptors today, they pale in comparison to the work of Martin Luther. And, and, and of course, we're Faith Lutheran Church, right? 
Of course we talk about this great reformer of the church. But if you were going to a Presbyterian church, you know who they talk about? You know who they quote many, more than any other reformer? Martin Luther. You go into a Methodist church. You go into a Baptist church. You go into a non-denominational church. And, the, and the, the preacher will oftentimes quote Luther over and over and over. And we ask ourselves, why does this guy get quoted so much? It's because, quite simply, he was such a disruptor in the life of the church. But, and, and the reverberations were so much bigger than the church. And here we are 500 years later. And we continue to experience the reverberations and the fallout of the change that happened that began on that one day in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther was an extraordinarily charismatic guy. He could, he could stand in the pulpit and just light things up. And people were amazed at the words that came out of his mouth and the transformation that was happening among the masses. And of course, with, with Luther, it wasn't just about the changes in the church, but it was the political life, the economic life. And, and you got to know, and you, you probably already know this, these changes caused a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension, and the powers of the day did not care for Luther so much. In fact, there was a bounty put on his head. He was branded an outlaw. Luther spent most of his life in hiding, running from the religious authorities, from the political authorities. People didn't know what to do with him. He was such an explosive character. And so he hid much of his life because he had to for his own survival. And you can imagine decade after decade of being this spark plug, of being this magnet of disruption wore heavily on Luther. And he was, he was normal like you and me. He was just a guy. And he would get frustrated and he would get discouraged and he became fearful and at times, Luther even confessed to being at the brink of losing his faith in God. So there's an incredibly tumultuous time when Luther lived. One particular time, Emperor Charles V reached out to Luther and said, Hey, Luther, let's talk, right? fireworks going off all over the place. Things were contentious. And Luther was having such a meltdown at that point in time in, in his life, he just could not bring himself to this meeting in Augsburg. Now, fortunately, Luther had some good friends, and one of his friends was a guy by the name of Philip Melanchthon. Anybody heard of Philip Melanchthon? Okay, two hands went up, right? Philip Melanchthon looked at Martin Luther and said, hey, you stay in hiding. I've got this. I'm going to go to Augsburg and I will meet with Emperor Charles V. We'll work this out. Now, long story short, there were meetings in Augsburg, Germany. It's about a decade after the Reformation began. And the outcome of those meetings is what we know today as the Augsburg Confession. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, the Augsburg Confession is the most significant theological document today after Scripture. Luther wasn't even there in Augsburg. He sent his friend, or his friend sent him. In that moment, 
when things were hottest and most difficult in Luther's life, Philip Melanchthon had more faith in Martin Luther than Martin Luther had in Martin Luther. And so Philip Melanchthon said, I've got it. I'm going to take this one for the team. So the question I want to ask you this morning as we're thinking about uh, what it means to be generous, who is the hero of that story? Who is the hero uh, of the Augsburg meeting? Who is the hero of the Augsburg confession? Was it Luther or was it Melanchthon? Melanchthon, right? But Melanchthon couldn't have done what Melanchthon did without Luther. And most historians will tell you that Martin Luther would not have been Martin Luther without Philip Melanchthon. And yet here we are, 500 years later, and when I asked you a few minutes ago, how many of you know who Philip Melanchthon is? There was, you know, a few of you. Well, I've heard that name before. Make no mistake about it, Philip Melanchthon was an extraordinary person in history. And because Philip Melanchthon gave his life, his time, so generously, here we sit 500 years later and the world has changed. And so today I want to remind you and invite you to be reminded that this is how God works. God uses ordinary people, people oftentimes that we don't even know their names, to do extraordinary things and to live their lives generously and, and, and literally change the world. And you think about who Jesus was and how he taught and, and uh, was, was always paying attention to the ordinary people to live there and give their lives generously. We think about that boy with a, a couple fish and some bread. What was his name again? We don't know, right? It was the little boy, according to Scripture. We think about the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. What was her name? We don't know. What was the name of those four guys who opened up the roof and lowered down their paralytic buddy so that Jesus could heal them? We don't know their names. Time and time again, Jesus would lift up people who were nameless. What was the name of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan, right? He didn't have a name. These were all people who just gave generously of their time and of their resources, and they became the heroes. They became the unsung heroes. They became the vessels that God used to bring about change and transformation. There's another disruptor. You know him by the name of the Apostle Paul. He had a name. And Paul, much like Luther, was all over the place. He was scattered, and he wore his emotions on his shoulders. And, and Paul's job in the, in the life of the early church was to plant churches, and then he would step back and watch the churches grow. And then when he stepped back and watched the churches grow with the new leadership, pretty soon an argument would boil up, right? Because that's what God's people do. You put a bunch of Christians in the room and they start tearing each other's throats up with disagreements and arguments, right? And they would get at each other's throats and they irritated one another and they frustrated one another because everybody thought they were right. And so Paul would have to send these letters to these churches uh, all around the Mediterranean rim saying, knock it off. Stop it. Love each other. 
care for one another, be a witness to the world. And sometimes Paul would write in these letters, which is much of the New Testament, these extraordinary letters of rebuke and telling the church to knock it off. And Paul was incredibly direct in his writing. And other times Paul would sit down and he would write and, and he would just encourage and, and love on the church and say, man, you're doing such a great job. You make my heart so filled with joy and gratitude by what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And so this morning, we're going to read one of Paul's letters where he's encouraging the church to live generously. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 12. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Do you hear that? It's, it's not just about the ways in which they're serving one another, helps each other out, but the, the expression, the ways in which they love one another and serve one another and care for one another, it, it's giving actually glory to God. It's serving God. So as we serve one another, we are serving God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them with every, and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, uh, you, uh, for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for this indescribable grace, this indescribable gift. So what Paul is saying, care for one another, love for one another. And when you do that, you are caring and loving and serving God. And the world, that becomes your witness. That becomes your testimony for people outside the walls of the church. They see what's going on. And so the impact becomes greater and greater and greater. See, how, how we live our lives with one another, it's an act of worship to God. It's not just about how we talk to each other or how we relate to one another, but it is an actual act of worship to God. There's this deep connection, this mystery that we don't fully understand, but they're tied together. Make no mistake about it. See, oftentimes we think that uh, doing work or being in relationship with one another is just about tasks. Or maybe that uh, there are insignificant details in how we uh, interact and relate with one another. But what Paul is saying is everything is connected for how you relate to one another and how God is in the midst of all that. Let me give you an illustration to kind of unpack this a little bit. In a couple weeks, uh, there's going to be a new movie coming out. Uh, Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody seen the trailer yet? Oh my goodness. Just watching the trailer is going to bring you to tears. Tom Hanks plays uh, Fred Rogers uh, from the TV show uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And, and uh, if I was a betting man, I would put money that there's going to be 
This is going to be an extraordinary story. And, and if you grew up with uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like I grew up with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know what a powerful story this is. Now, for young people today, uh, I'm just going to burst your bubble. There are no pyrotechnics in uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. There are no special effects. There are no heads that spin around. Uh, there are no scary moments that, you know, just kind of have you on the edge of your seat. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is just this extraordinary story of, of Fred Rogers sitting down and just having a conversation with people on the other side of the television. And one of the things I love about this movie, and I was kind of researching it a little bit this week because I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, is there's a quote from Fred Rogers' wife, Johanna. And this is what uh, she said. She said, when Fred would sit down and film Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he would view it as that space between the television set, and it wasn't a flat screen, right? That big television set that was about this deep. That space between the television set and the viewer is holy ground. That was holy ground for Fred Rogers. And if you've seen the television show and you remember that's exactly how we felt when we watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was holy ground. He wasn't just talking to us. He wasn't just teaching us. But something truly holy, something special was happening. So as I think about what it means to live generously, I want to ask you, What's your holy ground this week? Tomorrow when you go back to work, what's that space between you and the other person that's holy ground? What does that look like? How do you create that space as holy ground? Tomorrow, uh, maybe when you, if you're not working tomorrow and you're uh, gonna spend some time with somebody else, what's that holy ground, that space that you're gonna spend with someone? What's that gonna look like? Because it can just be a simple conversation, right? Or it can be something so much more. It can truly be holy ground. Let me give you an illustration of what this looks like for me. As I think about holy ground, I don't know what you think of when you think of holy ground. I think of Moses, the foot of Mount Sinai. Remember this in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus? Moses and the Israelites are wandering around the wilderness, and all of a sudden, Moses gets to Mount Sinai. He looks up the hill. God says to Moses, Moses, come here. So he starts walking up, and Moses, and, and God's like, Stop! Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. So Moses takes off his shoes. And he walks up the hill or up the mountain. And it was holy ground. It was sacred space. That's what I think of when I think of holy ground. It's taking off my shoes and declaring the floor, the ground I'm standing on is holy, that this is God's space. And oftentimes when I prepare for a sermon, a message, getting ready for Sundays, um, I like to do it with my shoes off. If I'm uh, at a coffee shop, I'll take my shoes off. 
If I'm home, I take my shoes off. If, you know, wherever I'm at, I like to take my shoes off because it's this great reminder that the message that I share with you uh, regarding God's word, it is not about me. It is holy, sacred ground. I am not capable of sharing, preparing anything for you. This, I, I want there to be sacred space between you and me and what we do on Sunday morning. See, I believe Sunday morning is not just a group of people that gather together and do tasks, to do stuff. I believe what we do together on Sunday morning is holy ground. And, and I have thought about asking all of you to leave your, your shoes at the door when you came in this morning. But then when I woke up, it was raining out. I thought, we're going to have a mess on our hands this morning. But truly, I believe, you know, again, symbolically, this is what it means to be the church on Sunday morning, is to walk into this space. This is no longer Union Park. This is God's space gathered together on Sunday morning. This is, I believe this is holy ground. And you are God's holy people. What we do on Sunday morning is not a group of tasks or things that we do, that we are worshiping the living God in our interaction with one another. And we just have an audience of one. You're, you're the choir, right? We have all gathered together for an audience of one, Jesus Christ on the throne. And so as you come in on a Sunday morning, uh, you might think to yourself, oh, there's somebody standing out at the Constitution Trail waving at me. They are not just simply saying hi. They are greeting you in the name of Jesus Christ. That is not simply a task. That is saying welcome when, as you come onto this campus. This is holy ground. And as you walk up to the door, you might get a hug from someone, right? This is the most huggy church I've been a part of. I don't know what it is. You guys love to hug. I mean, it's just this hug and embrace, right? And it's not just a, hey, good morning. It's a... It's an embrace. It's a firm handshake. And it's not, you know, a simple welcome to the Dairy Queen, right? <laughs> it's welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Get ready to stand on holy ground. And as you come through the doors, you're going to meet someone else. We call them an indoor greeter, right? And they're not there just to do a task, hand out a card. But they're there to look you in the eye. and really pray for you internally in a week that maybe nobody's looked you in the eye. I don't know. I, I, I go to the grocery store and the checkout person does the deal, you know. They don't really look up at you, right? I mean, what a gift for our indoor greeters just to look you in the eye and say, I see you. You matter to Jesus and you are here. That's what our indoor greeters are doing. They're not just handing out little pieces of paper. And then after you, you know, maybe get your coat hung up as a reminder, we're not here to just hang up our coats or our umbrellas or whatever, but we are here to be servants of the living God. That's what the indoor greeters are doing. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I need some sugar and caffeine, right? Now you could go to a drive through window somewhere. And have that just given to you, and you would, it would be very transactional. But if you go to the snack table this morning, you need to know that those gifts, those snacks were prepared with love and preparation. 
Sometimes they're baked in, in someone's kitchen. This is, you know, not just stuff. This is not just sugar and caffeine to wake you up. This is a gift, a, a piece of hospitality to say, thank you for being here. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to know that this is a place where we are a family and we spend time together. We don't just come and go, but we show up early, we talk to each other, and we stay late, and we keep talking to each other. Right, Sue? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> I love that how late you guys stay on Sunday morning and the conversation, because it, it, it's, it's not transactional. It's about community and connection and its holy space. And then I think about as the worship service begins, you might just think, well, there's Jeff and the worship team up there. They probably just got up there at 9.25 to start playing the music, right? But I can assure you, Jeff has given the musicians, the instrumentalists, the vocalists, the music long in advance. And, and some of them are sitting in their basement rehearsing and practicing and, and singing and, and doing everything they do for hours long before they show up on Sunday morning because they're not here to just sing, to perform. They are here to lead all of us in worship. Right, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, I love listening to Jackie's voice. But Jackie does not stand up here for all of us to go, wow, Jackie, you can really sing. I love it. Jackie stands up here and sings because she is uh, like the choir master, the conductor, inviting all of us to sing, to be a part of the choir, to join in. When we sing, we're not just singing songs. We are worshiping the Most High God because this is holy ground and this is holy time. And you might think, well, the ushers, they pass out those offering plates. They do those tasks. But I can assure you, when the ushers come on Sunday morning, they're not just thinking about stuff, about tasks, about you know, doing this and doing that and passing out this and collecting that. They are thinking, I am a servant of the Most High. And my job, my role, my responsibility is to create such a welcoming, meaningful spiritual environment for the entire congregation. And that's the role of an usher here. They're not just telling you to come forward for communion. They are inviting you to come and experience the living God, which, by the way, is you're coming down in a little while to receive communion. You're not just getting a piece of bread and dipping it into the wine. Our communion servers are not just transactional people, uh, much like they would say to you at Starbucks, thanks for coming, right? <laughs> Our communion servers are here to look you in the eye and to proclaim the body and the blood of Jesus Christ given and shed for you. They are sacred vessels, make no mistake about it. And they do it with reverence. And with dignity. As you come down, you might notice the altar. You know this altar doesn't live here the other six days of the week? We have people who come early and set all this up. 
And they do it with such love and commitment. And not because it's a task, not because it's something they have to do. It's something that they want to do, something they love to do. It's their way, one of the ways that they worship God. And they, there's such an incredible amount of love that is put into the altar each and every week. And part of the altar each and every week, you might also notice that we've got flowers. These flowers are not put uh, next to the altar as merely ambiance. Oh, don't the flowers look nice today? That's not what this is about. These flowers declare the beauty, the majesty of the creator of the universe. So when you see the flowers on Sunday morning, you ought to think to yourself, wow, our God is amazing. He created these beautiful flowers. See, none of these things are tasks. None of these things are just items that we do. And that's the power of what it means to be generous with our lives. It's not so much what we do, it's our attitude and how we serve in the world. And so I want to ask you, what are you doing this week uh, to, to create that sacred space, that, that holy space, that holy ground in your life so that God is a part of it and that you are worshiping God through it all? The second thing I want to ask you is, how are you creating holy ground here at Faith Lutheran Church on Sunday morning. Now this is where you can get out your card that was handed out a little while ago. And I want to invite you to take a look at that. And I know so many of you serve in such significant, meaningful ways. And I know many of us can think, well, these are just a bunch of tasks, things that need to be done on Sunday morning. But I want to encourage you, these are not tasks. These, this is ministry. This is opportunities to walk and live and be on holy ground with one another, to practice together. I don't, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, right? We're going to mess up. But what the beautiful thing about being the church is, is that when we make mistakes, we can look each other in the eye and say, it's okay. I forgive you. It's not perfect. It's okay. The world is not like that, right? The world demands perfection. The, the world demands so much more uh, from us. And the world is not forgiving. This is one of the reasons why we practice holy ground in the life of the church on Sunday mornings, is that we can also be people of grace. And so this morning, as, as I close out, uh, I want to invite you uh, to spend some time. I'm going to invite Jeff uh, and the worship team to come up, and uh, they're going to play a little bit of music for us. And uh, I want to invite you to fill out this card. And um, uh, if things that you're already doing, go ahead and check the box, mark the box. Um, things that you would like to learn more about, check the box, mark the box. Now, one other thing I want to say about this card this morning um, this is an uh, interest card, okay? If you filled out this card and placed it in the offering basket, we're going to take an offering in just a moment uh, where you can uh, give generously of your resources, but you can also uh, give generously of your time. But what you're putting on this form is, is you are indicating interest to learn more. So if you sign up to be a slide operator, um, we're not going to say to you, okay, next week you're up, right? What you're doing is you're communicating, I want to learn more about what that means. Because it may look like a task, 
It might. It might look like a task, just pushing the space, but kind of like what you do all week long, right? Sitting in front of a computer. But what Debbie does on Sunday morning, and others of you who help with the slides, that is creating holy ground. It's helping all of us to speak the liturgy, to pray together, to sing together. What she does over here is not in isolation. It is not a task. It is part of our worship and God's plan. And oh, by the way, John's back there filming uh, with the video. Not a task. It's not a task. Did you know that this week and in the next two weeks, 30 to 40 people are going to watch this video. And so somehow, John and some of the others of you, you have to be able to try and keep up with me with the video camera. And at the end of it, Jeff's going to package it up. He's going to take the audio that's being recorded, marrying it with the video. And it's going to be put on our website. Because Holy Ground is going to continue this week and next week. It doesn't just stop here. So I want to invite you to take a few moments uh, to fill out your card um, and prayerfully consider how you might help us grow in our holy space and live more generously with your time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the lives that you give each one of us. And we pray, Lord, um, that too often we treat life as tasks and stuff to do because, Lord, we don't feel like um, we're capable of doing extraordinary things, of being disruptors, making transformation in the world. But, God, that's exactly what you did. And you continue to do throughout time and history. You use very ordinary people to do incredible things. And so God, as we spend some time on these cards this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to just make us open. Make us open to being more generous with one another as we're being generous with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.